started yet, Kev. It's not funny. Uh, Why, no, what's it's, funny? It's no, hello, it's, everyone. Hello, everyone. Well, hello, everyone by itself isn't funny, but whenever I go to start, you, you yeah. make a noise of some description. Well, I want to get involved Like an involuntary, involuntary kind of like prod has happened to, to your mental condition. Well, no, you just said hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I'll tell you what, you're very easily amused. Yes, I am very. Well, I work with you. I have to be. Well, Welcome go, to the life point. of Brian. Dot dot dot. Manix, that is podcast for another episode. Episode. I don't know what number it is, but gee, it feels like we've done a few. We have. We've we've done lots and lots of people. We've had some terrific guests on oh, this show, and have we got some good ones today? We've got the best ones today. Absolutely. Thanks to Mercot's Driving Excellence. One three hundred triple five five seven six Mercot's There's no car crashes in this episode. It's a ripper. Oh, it is a ripper because we've got Leather Tascadero on the show. Ah, right. Now, we will point out that during the interview you called a pinky about three times, but that's all right. Yeah, that's all I could think about was doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and, and we've also got... <laughs> yeah, you're done tooting, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and we've got Molly on the show. Well, the man who uh, who famously won a Logie Award for playing Molly. Yes, he did. He's a ripper bloke and he's raised over $13 million for yeah. uh, breast cancer. And you've been involved in all the books up to date, including the one that we're going to talk about today, which is the Dear Mum book. That's right. It's a, it's a really great book. It's, um, you know, it's the sort of book you have in your dunny and you just sort of pick it up and read a page or two here and there, but it's um, some really nice and, um, you know, great letters in there, I reckon. You can have it on your bedside table too. You don't just have to have it exclusively in your toilet. Well, if you want to do a poo in your bed, Kev, oh, that's up to you. Geez. But personally, I just prefer the book in oh, the toilet so okay. I can just do that. Oh. I did a, I'm doing a triathlon next week. What? Uh, I'm doing a triathlon and I worked out that a shark is faster than me in the water mm. but I'm faster than a shark on land. Oh, right. So I think it's going to come down to the bicycle leg. <laughs> Mm. Oh, goodness me. Uh, well, and Samuel's a famous, famously unicycled his way around Australia. Well, absolutely. Money. And the shark was nowhere to be about. seen. No, there wasn't a shark involved at all. And uh, have we got uh, uh, part 49 of uh, Mark Opitz on today too? We do. Funny <laughs> you should mention that. He's talking about <laughs> noise works, hoodoo gurus, which wasn't exactly the wonderful experience for everybody that mm, uh, the record sounded like. He talks about... Good Times with NXS and Jimmy Barnes and how that was almost another song. Yeah, I tell you what, Jim Keyes would be spewing. Absolutely. And he talks about working with uh, your very good friend, James Freud and the Models. So all that's coming up with yep. uh, Mark Opitz. We're going to start with, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Leather Tuscadero, Susie Quattro, one of the greats of all time. So happy that we've got her on our podcast. All her life she's wanted to be someone and here she is. Yeah, Hello, Susie. How are you? Ready? Hi there. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Congratulations on the album. It's pretty damn good, isn't it? <laughs> Whoa! It's fantastic. It's rocket. You're still rocket. And I a couple of twists oh, yeah. in there as well. Fantastic stuff. We love it. 
thank you very much. I've, I'm so pleased because uh, every every interview I've done, they've all said to me, wow, your best album and blah, 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 blah. So when you put all that into it and then you get that reaction, it's just, well, you're a very happy artist. Can I just say that? Absolutely. And, and uh, Brian said uh, there's a few surprises in there. there. Your voice is sounding every bit as knocked the top off the roof of the building as it ever has. I don't know what it is, and I don't want to question it. I don't want to jinx it. Fair okay? enough. <laughs> but for some reason, the normal situation is your voice goes downhill as you get older. And for some reason, mine's gone up, and I don't know why. Shh. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Touch wood. No, I don't know why. I, re- I don't get it. Everybody says it. Everybody says it. So maybe I've just take, taken care of it all my life and uh, – you know, you got that. You got that experience in the voice as well, and whatever. I'm just enjoying it. I'm I'm singing from the heart and soul now. What beautiful! I tell you what, Susie. Um, I've got a daughter, and you've been a great inspiration, I think, for women from the time you started. Like, you came in and said, "Yeah, women can rock, and we can do it better than men." You know, in your acting roles, like Pinky Tuscadero, she's a really tough chick that's strong and you know, she's not going to take crap from women. I think that's been a really great influence on young girls and, you know, everybody that women can do whatever you like. Was that a conscious thing or is that just something that happened or is that just you? Well, I'm very, very honest about it. If you've watched Susie Q, which was a great success all around the world, my documentary, read by an Australian uh, director, Liam, Liam Firmature, I explained in there, it's a strange kind of situation I, I don't lie and say that I knew what I was doing. What I do say is I never did gender. I didn't do it then, and I don't do it now. So I'm a, a meist, if you like, and I believe that you should go inside and find your light, let it shine, and let nobody switch it off. I believe in strength. I believe in being the best of you that you can be. It doesn't matter what sex you are to me. I never called myself a girl musician, just a musician. And the fact that I did what I did which I was the first, you know, that I take that to my grave. Yeah, absolutely. The first female, yeah, sure. The first female bass player to have rock and roll success leading a band to playing an instrument. Nobody had done it. So that belongs to me. But I can't pretend, and I won't pretend, that I knew what I was doing. I actually was just being me and uncompromisingly yeah. being me. I wouldn't be anybody else. I don't want to live anybody else's version of who they think I should be. I'm who I am. The amazing thing about that, Susie, is that you were like that from the start. I mean, uh, the the reason you went with Mickey Most back to England in seventy in the early seventies was because he was going to make you the best Susie Quattro, not the best whoever else was hot at the time. Yeah, yeah. I had two offers in one week, and uh, and then you know it's really your time to move on. You know, two offers, and it was in the second wave of the all girl band that I had been pushed to the back instead of being the complete front person with all the lights on me, bass player, lead singer, they pushed me to the back because they wanted my little sister to come in and learn how to lead sing. And she's very good, don't get me wrong. But um, Electra Records saw the band and they said, we don't want the band, we want Susie. Mickey Most came in the exact same week, saw the band, we don't want the band, we want Susie. Electra Records said, we're going to take you to New York and put a male band around you and turn you into the next jazz jumping. And Mickey Moe said, I'm going to take you to England, put a male band around you, and turn you into the first Susie Quattro. <laughs> so guess what went. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that, that's the key to music, isn't it? It's about expressing what's inside you, not trying to think 
about what's inside somebody else. Just be honest to yourself and then it works out pretty well, I think. But sometimes it's difficult to just stay true to yourself. Do you find that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I hear what you're saying. But, you know, I I have to go back to when I got my um, honorary doctor. I'm I'm Dr. Quattro, by the way. Yes, you are. Dr. Quattro. Yes. From the Angela Ruskin University. You need your own TV show like Doctor Who, Dr. Quattro. Unbelievable cap and gown, intellectuals. How did that happen in this world? Anyway, because <laughs> um, I didn't even graduate high school. This is what I'm so proud of. I didn't graduate high school, and I still am Dr. Quattro. And the, the worst thing about that is I'm Dr. Quattro, but I don't have any patience. <laughs> anyway, I don't have much patience either, but I'd love to see a doctor that's clad in leather like you are. Well, um, why not? When I went to make my speech, when I got the award, uh, I had a speech prepared, you know, like you have to, and yeah. I didn't use it. I, as is typical me, I just kind of pushed it to the side, and I just started to talk. And I said, "It doesn't matter, black, white, rich, poor, straight, gay. Nothing matters. All that matters is that your journey in your life leads you back into yourself. You go inside yourself. You find that light. We all have one. You find the light." You switch it on, and you let nobody ever switch it off. And then I started to cry. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm about to start to cry. That's yeah. a beautiful, that's a beautiful uh, ideology there. I love it. Now, it's been a, a versatile career because, you know, you start off rocking out with Can the Can and 48 Crash and all that great rock and stuff. And I know me and my friends at school, we were hoping that you'd marry Elvin Stardust because he wore leather too, but that's just the sort of thing <laughs> stupid boys do. But then all that stuff you did with Smokey, which was, wasn't rock, but it was it was beautiful singing and stuff. That, those songs were terrific. Yeah, that was, that was just the one song we did. People love it all over the world. One of the, you know, it was a million sell in America. It just happened. We were at a uh, after hours VIP party after an award ceremony, and me being me, I kept going to all the other famous people there and saying, "Hey, come on, let's go up and jam with the band." Nobody wanted to jam with me, and I jam no. anywhere. I'm just shameless. So finally, I I didn't ask Chris. I grabbed him. I said, "Come here," and we went on stage. And Mike Chapman happened to be sitting in the audience that night, and he looked and he liked what he saw. He liked what he heard. And the next day. In the studio, I was making the If You Knew Susie album. He came in and he played Stumbling In, and he said, I want you guys to do a duet, so we did. But it's just a one song, but what a classic it was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, it seemed like two to me because I listened to it twice, probably more than twice. I liked it very much. Susie, the new album, The Devil and Me, it's got you working for the second time on a major album project with, with your son. Um, was it easier the second time than the first time? Because you, you got pretty good results out of the first uh, the first effort that you did. Yeah, we did. I mean, it was um, the first time was, you know, you never worked with somebody before. He's your son. I'm his mother. And, you know, you just kind of, you have no blueprint. You have no boundaries. You're just creating. That's how that happened. That's what that album sounds like. Because we got such good reviews and such good response, my son gained his, what do you want to say, his confidence. Yep. And he became, I would say, nearly belligerent. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's always yeah, good he, for rock and yeah. roll, a bit of belligerent. That's good. He said to me, uh, Mom, I, I know what album you should be making. We need to blow no control out of the water, and we need to make this as important as your first album and as groundbreaking. I thought, okay. Okay. What happened was 
we created a perfect storm. We did. I, it happened by accident, you know. We had that first album, we got our feet wet. And then the next one, he, he really brought to the table his confidence. He's 36 years of age. And in his DNA, since the time he can remember, he's watched his mom be Susie Quattro. Now, do you get that? Yeah. It's, it's, it's in there. It's soaked in there. So then I brought to the table my 57 years in the business, my 70 years of age, my professionalism, my experience in my life. And and I here's how I say it, and I can't say it any other way. I may have given birth to Richard, but he's given rebirth to me. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. My son tells me jokes that I think I've written, but I haven't heard before. But, you know, he's just got the same sense of humor with me, and that's, that's fantastic. That they do say that you teach your kids until they teach you, and that's a beautiful saying, yeah. mm. and it's true. So what's happening now, just to finish that conversation, is I am now seeing myself through Richard's eyes. So it's like brand new. Oh, wow. I, I'm going, wow, wow, all the time, wow. So it's just, it's relit my fire, and I didn't know my fire had to be relit. That's what's so crazy. <laughs> Yeah, well, we're glad you did. Tinky Tuscadero on Happy Days. What a great character she was. Did you get offered many more acting roles? Because you're a really good actor, and I'm surprised you didn't do more roles. I did Abfab, I did Minder, I did Dempsey and Makepeace. Yep. I uh, did, oh, God, what else? You did Bob the Quite Builder. The things. I've done a lot. I've done West End. I've written a musical. I've done a lot of acting, but don't forget that music kind of always is is in the front line so i'm always yeah. on the road but i do like acting very very much so when something comes along that i like i do it yes i do i like it very much well dr quattro i thought uh, i thought playing terry's <laughs> i thought playing terry's girlfriend in mind you that's a benchmark you can't do much better than that in my opinion oh i didn't but, know but that i have to say he, do, he does kiss good there you go <laughs> dennis waterman he's a good he's a good he's a great actor and now we know he's a good kisser. So this is beautiful. He is a good kisser. <laughs> I have to say it. Hey, Susie, <laughs> one of the one of the real, uh, I guess, um, uh, things that happen to you when you get to our stage of life uh, and, you, and you're working with your children, but you're singing kind of lyrics that are inspired by something that your mother said to you. And the title track of the album kind of is, is it's three generations of Quattro, isn't it? Oh, God, yeah. My mom was so important to me. Um, she was a strict Catholic lady. And yet she had these strange things that she used to say. And and she thought it was cute. And I think, Mom, that's rude. You know, she didn't <laughs> get it. She, she used to say to me, uh, Susan, you were always the shyest of my five children and the sweetest. But you were always the one with the mischief in your eyes. And then she used to say to me, <laughs> you, were always, you were always an angel until your halo slipped and it became a noose. And I, I drew on all that for the devil in me. She always yeah. told me that. I, yeah, and my, my husband calls me trouble. He says that's my middle name. So yeah. there you go. I am mischievous. Not bad, not bad, just mischievous. Yeah. Well, Rock's supposed to be mischievous. So thank you for being mischievous. What I'm going to say, um, with uh, all the rockets you do, you know, a lot of people, as they get older, like I know a lot of my musician friends, they... They end up playing an acoustic guitar and they sort of drive down country and western streets. But you're still rocking. What drives you to keep rocking? Because a lot of us, as we get older, like, you know, I'm nearly 60 now, I find myself writing songs with an acoustic guitar more often. And I find it harder to write a really good rock song 
like I used to when I was 18 or 19. So how do you go with that? Oh, God, I wish I could say I've matured. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you go with that. You haven't matured. I'm, I'm so much the same person. I've got the same fire in my belly. I've got the same drive. I've got the same needs. I still love what I do. I'm the old-fashioned performer that does it not for the fame and not for the money, does it because she loves it. Yeah. And I go to my grave with that. Yep. Well, yeah, listen, could- to the, listen to the new album, those songs like I Sold My Soul and uh, Hey Queenie and uh, even Betty Who, they're, 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 they're classic vintage. They could have been written in 1976. Yeah, but you know what? They don't sound retro. That's no, no, no. That's what I, I was going to no, say. No, they could have yeah, been written then, but, but yeah, the, production, the production's way beyond that. Yeah. It oh, sounds gotcha. big and it's damn got the elements. It's got the elements, which is wonderful. Yep. That's wonderful. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Great, 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 no. You guys like it. And then you oh, sit down. It. You sit down and 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 do a song like "In the Dark," which uh, is 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 one of the one of the real surprises, one of the real joys on the album as well. That and and the other one, which I, I must admit I just love, "Love's Gone Bad." I think is just a really, oh, really. It's a lovely thank vocal you. performance. I, that one. Oh, I love "Love's Gone Bad." I love how I'm singing it. You know, I channeled my Billie Holiday for yeah, that. One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do have all these different kind of voices, and it's nice to be able to use them. It's great. I'm enjoying it, you know. I, I won't be boxed in, you know. That's that's me. I won't be boxed in. Rock and roll, I, I live and breathe it. I will rock till I drop. But there is other sides to me, and I think I've earned the right at 70 to show whatever I want to show. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, were there any moments no. any moments between you and Richard in the studio when it got a little bit mum and, uh, and son, or was it always? No, 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 a couple of times it did. Um and in fact, I had to teach him studio diplomacy in one particular instance, but he wasn't wrong. <laughs> he wasn't wrong. I had done the demo for My Heart and Soul, which is one of my best vocals That's ever. The Christmas song, the Christmas yeah. Song. We were then in the stage where the track was finished and the horns were on, the strings were on, the backing vocals were on, and I was putting down my real vocal onto the finished track, okay? So mm-hmm. I'm singing away, and, and you know, you, you're naked when you're doing that. You're naked because you're really exposed when you're an artist. So I'm singing, yeah. you're in the studio, you're going, oh my God, is this okay? And Richard stopped the tape. And I said, what's the matter? He said, you're not doing it. And then I got defensive. What do you mean I'm not doing it? He said, well, you're not giving me goosebumps. I said, and I started to get angry. And he said, wait, 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 mm. mom, wait. And he played the demo in my ear. And I heard this non Susie Quattro singing a song in a voice she'd never used coming straight from her heart. I heard it. I, yeah, heard right. it. I walked out the studio, went for a little walk, got back into that frame of mind, sang it. But I said to Richard, you have to learn a little bit better way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then I grounded him, you know, so that was right. <laughs> Fair enough. See, I'm going to tell you a story, Susie. I'm a singer in a band. I had a bit of success in the 80s. I went and saw you at Billboard, a nightclub in Melbourne. It was a big nightclub in Melbourne. And I've got to say, you you know, you start out, all I life I want to be someone, and here I am. And then mm-hmm. away you go. And it was just such a fantastic show. I nearly fell off the balcony that I was on because I was rocking so much the devil goes right by the end. <laughs> so imagine my delight. When COVID started, a friend of mine said, look, would you sing a line on this song? And I said, yeah, okay, I'll sing a line. And it was called Feels Like Home. So I sang the line of the song and I sent it off to them and then they bought it back later. And I was absolutely knocked off my socks to find out 
that I'd made a recording with Susie Quattro because you were on the same record. And it was just fantastic. I think we were raising money for something. I'm not sure what it was now, but... Um, Excellent. We've actually made a record together, uh, Susie, and that's the highlight of my career. Yeah. Good boy. So it wasn't really a question. It was just really me bragging. So, yes. Kev, if you got a question, I'll just name-dropping and bragging. Yes. But uh, I've made a... I've made a record with Susie Quattro. Uh, okay, yes, that's enough. Doctor Quattro. Doctor Quattro. That's enough of you. Hey, Susie, right. when did the when did the Ray Ban collection start? And is it have you got like seven hundred pairs or something? I know it starts with the forties and goes up to the present day. My husband, he loves collecting anyway. That's what he does. He loves collecting. So he kept buying me sunglasses through the years that we've been married, 27 years. And then he'd say to me, I found this and this and this, and you owe me this and this and this. And I got a little bit fed up with that. So I said, Reiner, instead of you finding glasses for me and then making me pay you for them, why don't you just do what you love doing and make me a collection of Ray-Bans? And that's what he does. So don't give me any Christmas or any birthday from now on. Just do the Ray-Ban. And so he did that. It's fantastic. It's a it's a very neat little connection. I saw a sort of some of them behind you in a in a, a video that I saw of of an interview that uh, that you did. Hey, uh, tell me about one of the songs I wanted to ask you about in particular off the off the new album was Isolation uh, Blues written uh, during COVID, or was that a song that had come before that that you just adapted? Or oh, are you kidding me? How could you write that in any other situation yep. than being in the middle? <laughs> Of COVID. I mean, you know, it, it just, you cannot manufacture that. And in fact, so many interviewers have picked this track out. I finally asked one guy, why is everybody picking the song? It's not a single. No. And he said, I'll tell you why, Susie. And I said, go ahead. He said, well, I've done a lot of reviewing of albums lately, and everybody has a COVID song on the album. I said, right. He said, and they're all manufactured, and yours is real. And I take that mm. as a great compliment. Yeah, it's a good song. It's a really good song. Oh, okay. It's a really good oh, song. It, it's like it's free form and it just it's, – it's as if – even though I know it's written, it's as if you kind of were making it up as you were going along and how you were feeling at the time. You, Susie, is it right that you got COVID? You caught COVID? Yes, I did last November. And, in fact, I'd been back and forth to Europe because my husband lives in Hamburg and I live in England and we usually go back and forth. And I'd managed to go back and forth four times and then I got COVID in my own home. Oh, it, it was my grandson. He brought it in from school and he had no symptoms. So he gave it to my daughter at her house. Everybody came over for the one last allowed lockdown dinner with six people. Then the next day lockdown, you know, and uh, nobody knew we had it. So Laura had it too. I got it and everybody in this house got it. Oh, but wow. I'm fine now. I've had the injection and I get the next one at the end of April and I'm fine. I, I didn't have to be hospitalized. So, you know, I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay. Good. Now we're enjoying the devil in me, but I believe you're already uh, with uh, with Richard uh, writing stuff for the next one. Yes, I can't seem to. I can't seem to get away from this creativity. I am feeling so much in the atmosphere, and as a writer, my channels are open, so I'm letting it fly in. And while it's here, I'm writing. I'm not going to stop. You're, you're an antenna, and those songs are flying through the earth, and they just. Mob India sometimes the good ones they they write pretty quickly I find. You know it's it's funny how it happens. Um, every song's different. For instance, I'll give you one instance. Yeah. The Devil in Me. Okay. So I had said that title about a year and a half ago, and my son said, "Oh, 
oh, mom, what a great title. And I made a folder of it. Next album, The Devil and Me. Okay. So good title. And I wrote the right set up. of lyrics, took, took my mother for the uh, inspiration and all that. And as we were writing for this album, I kept trying to find a way into the lyrics. And I couldn't find, I played piano, I played guitar, I played bass. I couldn't get a song for these lyrics. And they were good lyrics. Mm. Then finally, finally, I, I put it back in my songbook, which stays there. And when I need inspiration, I flick through it and find what I need. It stayed in there. Then uh, Richard was working on the last track for the album. And he said, Mom, here's the last one. Here's a riff. What do you think? I said, oh, I like it. So he sent it to my computer. I got my acoustic bass. I got my songbook. I sat here, played along, looking for the melody. And I swear to God, I'm flicking through the pages of the songbook. And this is just how it happened. The lyrics for The Devil and Me fell out of the book and landed face up on my computer keyboard. Oh, wow. And, you know, I don't know. You know, people say, oh, what, you know, they can't believe and stuff like that. I'm only telling you how it happened. Yeah. So took that as maybe my mother saying, Susan, here's the song, here's the <laughs> lyrics. So, anyway, but that's how things happen sometimes. And I took it serious. Absolutely. And when I sang it, I saw the lyrics sitting there. I started to sing it. It was perfect for the song, written for the song. Hey, Susan, yeah. I know you got to go. Uh, just uh, the I will retire when I go on stage. Shake my ass, and there's silence. That will never happen, Dr. Quattro. No. It has not happened yet, thank you very much. I'm going to keep shaking that ass. I'm no hero. Marks on my soul. I made mistakes. I've been down that black hole.
Mate K, rock and roll. Susie Quattro sounding like she did in 1977, but like the 2021 production values, that sounds great. That's a great she song. She is still rocking and yep. she's she's about 42 now. Right. Uh, she's still rocking like she was 28. Yep, she is. Uh, terrific. And we, we so thank uh, Susie for giving us some time to talk about that new album. Oh. At the end of the show, we're going to play that song we talked about in the interview, In the Dark, which is the one she's really happy with wow. the vocal. It's just a beautiful song. You're going to absolutely love it. And it's Susie Quattro like you haven't probably heard her before. So Well, she's... A lot better, you know. She's a rocker most of the time, but um, you know when she got together with Smokey and stuff, she sort of oh, showed yeah. that she's got a bit more versatility than perhaps what the average fan thinks. Absolutely. Now we're moving now to uh, from uh, rock and roll to books and to a very important book. Uh, it's oh. called Dear Mum. Yep. It's the third of the books, uh, the Dear Santa and the Dear uh, Dear Father book, which which you've been in both, and you're in this one as well, which is yep. is good. Yep. And the man who puts it all together is Samuel Johnson, who's just a ripper. He's a great bloke and um, a great humanitarian, great, yeah, he is. which makes him a great Australian. Yes. And, and we which... only like great Australians on this show, well, except for Susie Quattro, Alice Cooper and uh, Johnny Lawton. <laughs> yeah. But apart from that, it's all great Australian. They're all adopted <laughs> Australians, so we've, we've, uh, we've adopted Shaken them. Shaken Stevens and Mocky Burnett, I forgot about them. Yeah, okay. Uh, right. So this bloke, he's a ripper and he's going to explain to us exactly what this Dear Mum book is all about. Good. If you know, if you could tell your mum anything, what would it be? I think without asking that question, I wouldn't have received such an extraordinary array of letters. This book is not just, um, you know, love letters to wonderful mums. It's um, it's much more kind of intricate and complicated than that. Um, <laughs> um, it's you know, there's there's some there's some confessions, there's some letters that you know that are seeking answers and. Yeah, I didn't realise I was opening up such a can of worms. My mum died when I was three, uh, and all I knew about her was that she was a poet. And so I grew, I grew up with a with a bit of a ghost mum. Yeah, I, I write to an absent mum, and uh, some others in the book do as well. Um, so some some mums are still alive. Some of them have have, have sadly kind of uh, slipped into dementia and and other other sorts of horridness, but. Um, but in my, in my case, um, and in some of the other cases as well, we're writing to mothers who have passed. Um, so there's a bit of everything. Yeah, I know. Um, my mum, if me and my brother decided we were going to rob a bank, <laughs> my mum would reckon it was the bank's fault. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's I mean that that's more in line with what we know a mum to be, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I thought your letter was uh, fantastic, Brian. Oh, um, I, I hope you're happy to be, uh, be in the book. Oh, I'm always happy to be in the book, mate. This is the third one for me. We did uh, Dear Santa and Dear Dad and now Dear Mum. So it's um, it's always a fun exercise and they're, they're really good to read these books. You know, I sort of just pick one up and you just read a couple of pages here and there. You don't have to sort yep. of go from cover to cover. It's just they're really, really good books. And um, I think the um, I think the first line of your letter is really lovely, Brian. It, it says, Dear Mum, I was going to ring you the other day and then I remembered that I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. You know, an incredibly powerful opener. Um, it's and and really, it's you know, I've been able to gain something from each letter because there's kind of there's there's something universal about them all, and um, even if you, you no matter what type of mum you had, there's you know there really is something to be gleaned from each letter, and um, I certainly wish I had a mum like yours, Brian. <laughs> she, she was a beauty. She was a ripper. Um, yeah, I, I really miss my mum, but um, but you know, um, her influence is still everywhere in my life, and. Um, 
you know, I think she's probably better off. She's, you know, she's getting pretty old towards the end, so she's down. It's, it's partly why I was interested in asking people like you, Brian, to write for this is because I figured if I find the most interesting adults I can find, then their parents are better to provide good stories because, yeah, um, you know, there's not many not many people succeed in the world, you know, without without some superb guidance from, from a parent, so um, at least one parent. So, um, yeah, I was I was very gratified to, uh, throughout this process just to, um, you know, it was quite um, it was quite gratifying when I, you know, when I initially targeted people to, to see that my um, assumptions about their parents were correct. Yeah, right. Hey, Samuel, I mean, the array of people you got and the, and the different walks of life they all come from, whether it's like Brian from an entertainment point of view or Jackie Lamb being a politician, Shane Jacobson being, you know, an actor, sort of a comedian stuff. How did you come up with your list? I, I, I wanted something beyond our usual smattering of, of showbiz names. So I wanted this to be a, a more substantive book. So I very deliberately approached basically the best in their field. If they were, if they were amazing at what they did, then I, I was ha- then I was happy to happy to use them. So rather than just go for showbiz types, I went for former Australians of the year. I went for community leaders. I also went for you know stand up comics and politicians, as you said, um, a lot of musicians. And um, I mean, this, getting the comics was important as well because I wanted this um, book to be highly entertaining as well. Um, and also, I've got a bunch of serious writers who do. You know who write uh, for a living. Um, so I, I just figured that I wanted this to be a fitting tribute, and, and the way that I was able to achieve that was by um, by going to the um, to the best in many fields. How did you feel when you uh, read what your sister wrote? Yeah, my, my sister wrote a um, a very powerful single uh, single sentence uh, letter that that said, "Dear Mum." It was all a bit much, wasn't it? Love, Hilda. Um, it, it, it reminded me of, of the classic short story by, who was it? I think it was, um, oh, God, it was either Hemingway or George Bernard Shaw. I mean, the best, the best short form ever written, I, I think, was a, was a six-word short story. For sale, baby's shoes never worn. Oh, um, you know, there's 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 a starkness and a simplicity um, to my sister's letter that I think is very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. It's the it, I mean, it's the classic. You know, make you laugh, make you cry, make you take you through every emotion <laughs> in this book, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> One group that uh, doesn't seem to be represented, uh, Sam, is the um, the strippers. I know, <laughs> I know some strippers that are the top. The top of their game, and um, I'm sure they'd have an interesting story. But maybe for the next one, we'll get some strippers in there as well, because um, um, you know, Brian, what an oversight! You're right, and I apologise. <laughs> Our next book, we'll get some strippers in on that one. That'll be good. Yeah, well, then maybe we can go. You know, we can go. Um, we can do a dear stripper uh, instead of a dear mum. A dear stripper. That yeah. now we're talking. I mean, they des- they deserve their very own book, no doubt. I mean, you know, what a, what a, what a tough industry. <laughs> particularly of recent times with COVID uh, implications uh, of late. Yeah, yeah, particularly having to deal with people like Brian. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, there's a Dear Brian book somewhere, surely. Oh, yeah, we, yeah we'd struggle not to call that the life of Brian, wouldn't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we would. Hey, what else are you doing at the moment? Uh, obviously, you're very busy with the, with the charity work and uh, over $13 million you've raised so far, um, and this will obviously add to the coffers as well. What, well, what else are you up to? 
I've got no idea what's next. Normally, I map things fairly well in advance, and um, and I've really, you know, I've got the next year marked in terms of the charity, but um, really, no idea. I'm, I'm, I, for the first time in my life, I'm in a bit of a see what happens mode, and um, and that's both um, refreshing and daunting. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure about um, I'm not sure about showbiz. I never am, and um, all I know is that I'm just going to keep. Uh, that I'm going to keep rattling tins, so to speak. I mean, I really like working in in a non-fiction world with real families, and um, and my life's done nothing but improve since I left the make-believe of showbiz. I don't know. Showbiz is a tough one, and Brian, you might be able to touch on this, but I mean, certainly, certainly in music and in, in and in fashion and in acting, um, there's 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 a there's a dangerous element to these jobs. I I find that. Um, I find that that acting is, is is dangerous work. It's a it's a dark art. I, I, I it can, it can kill you. It can it can it can leave you a shell of yourself or a shadow of your former self. It can also leave you um, kind of falling into an idea of yourself, um, as you could argue has happened with Molly Meldrum. You know, these people end up just caricatures yeah. of themselves, and sometimes they end up very lonely and tragic figures. So, oh, look, I've, I've, I'm I'm kind of I'm a little bit sceptical of, of acting again because I, I, I just I feel like, I just feel like I'm 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 dancing with the devil or or dancing with a dragon at least, and I'm not sure I want to go and pat the dragon again because he might whip me with his tail and knock me <laughs> unconscious. Does any do you relate to any of that, Brian? Yeah, I do. Um, I think uh, if, if you're working in the arts and stuff, you can be really really tough on yourself. You can sort of, it doesn't matter what you do, but in your own mind it's not quite good enough and that can really sort of play with your mind, whereas, you know, all the people can be clapping and think you're terrific, but if you and yourself sort of have a doubt about how you went, then you can go to really dark places because um, yeah, it's almost the it's almost the artist's prerogative to kind of chase perfectionism to the point where it yeah. damages themselves. You know, that's exactly right. Um, I know when I was dancing, I, oh, you won, I, you won Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, you but, did. <laughs> but I know Melanie told me my partner said that. Um, if if you if you're doing it and it doesn't hurt, then you're not doing it properly. And the dance. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's true. It's true. Pain pain is currency in a way, and yeah. you know, in a, in a, in a way, you know, if you can if if you can find a way to um to alchemize your pain, then you can come up with some you know some some superior kind of art. But I, I've watched. I've I've grown up in the arts, and I've I've watched plenty of people go down, and um yeah. and and all I know is that I was in the arts and I was confused for a long time and when I left the arts and started becoming a fundraiser I mean my my confusion just melted away and I'm no longer I'm no longer kind of confused and, and and tormented I'm I'm just happy and and loving my kind of real life so I'm reticent to kind of uh, to, to to go back for fear that I might um that I might not recover this time I don't know I mean in my earlier days I was making a shitload of bad decisions so <laughs> I, it's probably understandable that I'm um, approaching the thing uh, with caution now. Yeah. Writing, though, writing is one of those cathartic experiences. Is that something you've you've thought about? Yeah, yeah, it's it's something that I'm well into now. My dad was a novelist. My mum was a poet. My sister is a novelist, and um, I was raised without a TV. Um, so, so you know, I mean, I always imagined becoming a writer. I just went the circuitous route. I found a diary entry um, uh, about two weeks ago of mine when I was nine years old. And in it, I say I'm going to become an actor, and if that and if that if that doesn't work out, I'll fall back on my writing. 
Um, and so, so it appears that I knew exactly what would happen by the time I was about nine. What about singing? Can you sing, Sam? Oh, I wish. I mean, it's one of my greatest pleasures is to belt out a number because it makes me feel so good, but I sound shocking. <laughs> I mean, every actor wants to be a rock star and every muso wants to be an actor. I mean, we're yeah. all so thoroughly fucking confused. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Hey, listen, well done on the book. It's a lovely collection of, uh, of you know, good, good, bad and, uh, and the highs and lows that you get uh, being a, 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 you know, a normal, flawed human being. Yeah, exactly. There's no hallmark here. I, I really appreciate your time. It's good to hear your voice, Kevin Hill. Here, I've um, I've, I've been listening to you for a while, and um, and Brian, thanks again for contributing to the book. Anytime, Sam. Anytime. Good on you, Sam. Take care, mate. All the best, fellas. Much love. Cheers, See bro. ya. Bye. All right. Bye bye. All right, Samuel Johnson, what a good fella, what a good bloke. I really like Samuel. And uh, that book is available. It's called Dear Mum, and uh, as Samuel mentioned, all the proceeds uh, go, of course, uh, to the Dancing With Your Sister charity. So it's all about uh, finding a cure for cancer and uh, helping Dancing raise... With Your Sister? Love oh, Your Sister. Sorry, Love Your Sister. It was you, you, did win. The... you did win Dancing With The Stars. Dancing With The Stars. When he was on right. it, I think it was last year. I tell you what, um, I'm really looking forward to seeing Greg Domasavich and Tony Mockbell on Dancing with the Stars this week. That's going to be beaut. <laughs> Tony Mockbell's Viennese waltz will impress, I right. guarantee you. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm not touching that with a 40 tell foot you what, barge pile. Backstage, backstage, it's going to be a blast with Tony <laughs> Mockbell in there. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're, you're on your own here, Maddox, all right? All right. I then. just want you to know that. Okay. He's now a we top move dancer, on. Kev. We move on now to uh, part four hundred and seventy-two, oh. and the final part in this series, right? Of our interview, but with we Mark still Owens. haven't finished his life because we've no. still got in excess in the Bahamas, right? So we've still got more after this. Yeah. Wow, he's very, very interesting young man. Yeah, uh, so uh, best record producer in Australia. Coming up, he talks about the models, talks about good times, talks about the Hootie Gurus, but starts with how it all began. Uh, his association with the uh, with Johnny Stevens and the boys. Doesn't he have a bit of a mention about poo jogging at some point? Michael Browning came to see me, and it was ex ACDC, you know, ex Deluxe in excess. He came to see me. He said, "I've got this band, Noiseworks, and played me this track called No Lies, which I thought was really good. And I didn't think the arrangement was right, but I thought it was really good." And he said, "Oh, can you go to a, a demo session with these guys with Damien Gerard?" So they waited till about the third song to play me No Lies because they really knew that they they thought this was the big one, and I, I knew it was the big one. But at the end of No Lies, they just stood around and looked at me as if to say, "Well, what do you think?" And I just, <laughs> I just said, "Yeah, what else you got?" You know, <laughs> next, you know, didn't give it, didn't give it the, I didn't over attention, put too much attention on it straight away. And so they played a few more. Then we, anyway, so we ended up going to the studio and I did No Lies straight up. So I changed the arrangement. I just swapped things around, similar to what I did with a band called The Venetians on a song called So Much for Love, where I, you know, changed, uh, which went really well for them. And I, but yeah, so No Lies I was exceedingly happy with. You know, then we went down and did this, Bodka-fueled album, you know, their first album, you know, where we, you know, down at Platinum, as you know, Brian, down in Melbourne, yep. and records in there, but spent most of the time playing indoor cricket, you know, with a, down the long hallway there, and then the other sport that we indulged in was how fast could we all drink a bottle of vodka in. Oh, oh Olympic so sport, to, that one. Yeah, you know, it is. And we had the fridge just full of, of vodka, you know, and um, 
And we did all drink the same bottle, but I think our record was 17 seconds. But we do it. And then get around to recording and out of that. And so, you know, and then so take me back. I got out of that and John came in to uh, a girl that he'd been reading about a girl that was um, abducted by the side of the road in Queensland while her car broken down. And and I put a ridiculous drum sound on it, you know, just over the top, huge fucking drum sound. But I, the whole point was I really wanted to make it stand out, you know, because you know, I remember words that George Young had said to me back in the Alberts days when I'd said, oh, shit, mate, I think I've got the hi-hat too loud. And he turned to me and said, Mark, you might think it's too loud, but someday someone's going to come up to you and say, I love what you did with the hi-hat <laughs> and, you know, because it's different. And so that sort of stuck with me. And so I did that with the whole drum sound on, on Take Me Back. Hudiger is the band we got to talk about. We had him on this show, and uh, the, the, that wasn't one of your more pleasant experiences, was it? No, it wasn't, because I, I was in New York at the time working with something, and, and Electra had just bought the Hudiger's contract from Big Time Records, which was Big Time was their original label, which is a bit chunky, and they sold it on to Electra. And at that time, Big uh, Hudiger's were a big on the College Act, we call it alternative scene these days. But they were a big college radio act and doing well. And Electra had me into their offices at, in, um, in Rockefeller Plaza. They said, we want you to produce the Hootie Gurus. We want to get out of the colleges and then into the big time. I said, yeah, I'll do it. So I went back to Australia to, to do it. And I went to the first rehearsal with the Gurus, having no idea that they had no idea that this conversation had taken place. I had no idea that I was so ordered to use me as a producer. I thought it was them that wanted so I've gone and listened. I went to the demos and, you know, the, the rehearsals and, and, and I thought it's a bit cold with everyone, you know. And when in the studio, it was just frosty the whole time, you know. Mark Kingston, a brilliant, brilliant drummer. You know, I said, okay, let's, let's all, let's go cut some tracks. And Mark said, look, do you mind? I, I don't want to play with the rest of the band. I said, you're the drummer. You have to play. He said, no, 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 just let me go into the room. I know all the tracks in my head. I'll just play them. And then you can put stuff on top. I said, you kidding? I'd at least get Dave in there to play along. He said, no, no, no. Well, what about Clyde's bass player? No, definitely not Clyde. Just let me do it. Trust me. So there I was. I, I spent two or three days. <laughs> yeah, yeah bands should play together. It's well, it's Brian, Brian, to me, that's one of the things I always say. Be a band. Be a band. Yeah. Don't, you're, not, you're not recording a single. You're not recording an album. You're a fucking band. Be a band. Yeah, you know, and a lot of a lot of records in the eighties were made like that. With you know, just yeah. record the drums, see, we record the bass, yeah. and you lose all that thing with the band is actually a band. Yeah, yeah, good work. The thing is, you know, so I let Mark do it, and and he did it, and I thought, shit, they sound really good. Now, when you listen to what's my scene, you can't tell me that sounds like it's not a band. No, you can't. And, and you listen to any track on that blow you cool album, you cannot tell it's not a band. You know, maybe some songs with the Go-Go's sing along and one of them, you know, Good Times or whatever it's called. What's interesting about this, you know, is Dave was really, you know, not personable to me at all. And, you know, because, you know, and then when, you know, the way I was going about things and, you know, again, I had no idea that, that, that I'd been foisted on the band. I had no idea. Interestingly, halfway through this, I got contacted by Chris Murphy again and said, look, can, we want you to do a track with Jimmy Barnes and Success. Or turn up your radio, Master Prince. Yeah, Jimmy and I were living in Barrow at the time. This is during the Hoodoo Guru session, which we were recording at Albert. Anyway, so I took a weekend off to do 
to a recording with In Excess and Jimmy Barnes together in doing Turn Up Your Radio with Jim Keyes. Jim Keyes flying up from Melbourne and all that. Anyway, on the drive up, Mark Pope was in the car and said, look, I'm sorry, I took the liberty of speaking to Glenn A. Baker and sort of going through some classic Australian rock songs as alternatives. And I think this song is the one that you should do. It's a song called Good Times. And I listened to Good Times. I thought, fuck me, that's a George Young song. It was Stevie Wright, not Bandron Young. And I remember asking about Good Times for George and Harry in the studio. And I said, how would you get that high vocal? You know, I'm going to have on, on that part. He said, oh, that was easy. Steve Marriott from Small Faces recording the next studio. So we just got him to come and sing in the chorus. And I said, that's Jimmy Barnes' voice. To me, it was a lay down Mazaire, you know, good time. So I got to the studio. had to tell, you know, I was the one who had to tell Jim Keyes, we're not doing this song. We might fly back to Melbourne. Oh, nice. He must have been feeling. <laughs> oh, he, he wasn't happy. He wasn't <laughs> happy. But he's a gentleman. He's a gentleman. Yeah, he is. The rest he is You know, and I talked to him about it years later. But so we did good times, which I knocked over in a day, basically, and um, uh, with in excess, uh, you know, and Jimmy. Without Tim, Tim had gone fishing, so his credit on the record is Tim Farris gone fishing, you know. The late, great Peter Cowan piano who played unbelievably well. And so we did all that and did a B-side. They had a bit of music lying around, or Andrew did, didn't have lyrics for it. Michael didn't have lyrics for it, so I just went out, got a bunch of Time magazines and found the lead lines in it for each article and cut them out to you know, one of them would be laying down the law in Queensland, right, laying down the law. So I just cut all those up and gave them to Michael and Jimmy and said, put them in order, there's your lyrics. And that became the B-side. <laughs> but anyway, I went back to the studio to do the Hootie Gurus, you know, on the Monday morning and um, I took an acetate of good times and to play to George and Harry and, and FIFA was in the office as well. They hated covers of their song. You know, every time I play my cover, oh, David Bowie's cover, all that, that's shit. You know, oh, I've got a gas, you know, on gasoline now. You have to, oh, that's crap. You know, you know, everyone's shite. You know, everyone's, oh, they're shit. Everyone's shit. But mind you, they didn't mind the royalties from the publisher. Yeah. But anyway, so I've turned up and with intrepidation, you know, played them good times, you know, in FIFA, George, Harry. They listened to it and they're just nodding their heads. And they didn't say it was bad, didn't say it was good. They uh, left them the acetate and look, it's your song. Here you go. And about 8 o'clock that night, you know, I was doing overdub with um, Dave Faulkner. And all of a sudden, the door to the studio sort of pushes open. And in comes a drunk George Young, who I'd never seen George drunk before. And I'd worked with him for years. And he just pushes past Al Wright, pushes past Dave Faulkner, and shoves his big mitt out in front of me, shakes my hand vigorously and says, fucking great. Fucking uh-huh. great job. <laughs> what a fucking great job. And that's that's probably the the best or the second best compliment I've ever had. So anyway, we proceeded, you know, and I mixed the album over at Rhinoceros and said that Albert's What's My Scene came out. The album was Blow You Cool. Went, you know, double platinum within weeks. The band sort of, hate, you know, Clyde left the band after that, the bass player, and Dave thought that still was grumbling. And he had a number one with What's My Scene, his biggest <laughs> selling record ever, biggest selling album. And it was still putting shit on me in magazine articles years later. You know? it, was, it was quite disappointing. In the fact, because I used to point out to people, if you want to write lyrics, go study Dave Falks, you know, go study John Walker, you know, go study that, certain lyricists who are in this country, Paul Kelly, whatever, you know, and, you know, Dave's up there. And so I was a little disappointed when this article in American magazine came out that really criticised me, you know, for being someone who breaks up band and I'm nothing but a trumped up yuppie. 
Dave still doesn't talk to me and probably still hasn't forgiven me for giving him the most commercial success he's ever had, and, um, uh, which, you know, I find pretty amusing. Mark, you did the... Did, did you do the models out of mind, out of sight? Absolutely, yeah. Well, the models yeah. is another one where Chris Murphy got in touch with me and said, mate, you know, got the song that's sort of half finished, but it's, I think, you know, I'd like you to have a shot at it. And, and it was a song called Barbados. It's had shit going on everywhere. Yeah. And so I went and, you know, and I met the band, went to the studio, and, and we sat down, and, and, and I immediately pulled the song apart, just pulled everything out of it. And I got James to do a new vocal. And then I said, and, and James Valentine had joined the band as a saxophone player, now on ABC Radio. And I said, listen, you know, I need you to do a solo, but what if you, you know, over, over the, I think, 12 bars? I said, I want this, the first six bars to be thematic to the song, then, then I want you to break out, just uh, go go fully emotional for the second. So that's exactly what he did. He went, dit, 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 you know, he went with, with the vibe of the song, dit, 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 dit. Then he went and just got emotional about it, which is exactly what I want. Put that on. I stripped everything back out of the song in the mix. Just put a long delay on James's vocal. Got Kate and Zan in to do backing vocals because those guys didn't have the high voice to it. We did that, and then that that sort of broke the the model. It was a big push for Sean to sing that song, wasn't there? Maybe so, but not to my memory. I think the song was written by James. Yeah, it was. But then that was just a one-off, and we did it, and then they said, Chris said, look, fuck, this has gone through the roof. You've got to do the album. So I was in the studio doing a Richard Clapton album, I think, one day, and Chris pulls up and knocks on the door, the late, great Chris Murphy. Yes. And he says, well, here's the demos for the, the model. And have to listen to it. What do you think of this track? A song called Out of Mind, Out of Sight. Great. We went in to do an album and did Out of Mind, Out of Sight first. And I, I, I did one of the things I'd always wanted to do on, on that track. So what I did, we recorded the song, got it down, you know. I used three different guitar amps to get that guitar sound at the start. That da, 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 da. I edited it on, you know, it, it starts with just Barton playing the drums. And, and so I recorded most of the track at, at Rhinoceros. But I figured we didn't have a, a start to it. So when we we're down at Platinum, I put the machine on and got a timing. And I, get, I said to Barton, just play me the start. That's all I want. So he played that. Then I edited that onto the front of Out of Mind, Out of Sight. And if you really listen to it, you can tell I've done the edit because all of a sudden it goes from uh, open hi-hat to closed hi-hat in the split. You know, you, you know. So if you have close listen to that song at the very start, where the guitar comes in, you'll hear the higher changes. You, you can't oh. tell unless you listen for it. But wow. that's the edit point. So I put that on. The other thing I wanted to do is I'd always wanted to jam a horn track. So I got James Valentine. I said, mate, on this song, I want you to just go in and just jam it, but just don't play over any of the vocals. Just do licks wherever you like. Preferably to be on top of a snare beat and a kick drum beat to kick them off, but just jam, but not over any vocals, just jam. And so he did two or three takes of just jamming. Then I added those three takes into just this one single take of licks, basically. Then I got Roger Mason. I said to Roger, okay, Roger, I want you to go a third above that on your Voyager with your best sax kind of sound. Right. And, then, and so I manufactured basically a brass section. And that really helped made the track for me. It's a sort of song I reckon Elvis would have done. Would have been a great song for Elvis. To me, it's always oh. sounded like an Elvis song. 
exactly. You know, it, it, it does. It's uh, because, and I think a lot of that lends itself to that brass idea. Yeah, it does. You know, it does. And um, uh, I was, again, I got Kate Zan to come and do. I don't mind other side because they could do high high vocals. Yeah, and uh, and they did that, and I knew we had a hit. I knew we had a hit. As soon as I feel yeah. it, I knew that this is going to kill. Hey Mark, so, we, we reserve we reserve the right to have you on again, but I've run out of studio time. There's so much more to talk. I wanted to talk to you about Bon Scott presenting you with your first gold album and a whole stack of other things. So we reserve the right to have you back on again. Yeah, mate. As I said, we're about uh, two thirds of the way through. So sure. Yeah, yeah. I want to get to the Bahamas. Yeah. The album. I, I ended up living there for three years. I want to get. Uh, I want to get to you turning down the Beatles so as you could do the Uncanny X Men. Oh no, hang on, it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I turned down Guns and Roses. Yeah, I know yeah. to do noise works, really? and, and you turned down Status Quo to do Aussie Crawl. That's right. Wow. That's right. Yeah. Mm. So, so we'll get to. We're going to get. To, we're going to get to all that. But thank, thank you so much for your time uh, today. I really appreciate. it. I'll be in touch, and we'll uh, we'll talk again. All right, here we go. Here's the. Hello, everyone. That's yeah, good for a laugh. Shut up. Here's... <laughs> Shut up, you idiots! Here's the end. This is the end. This is the end of the show because I've had enough of you. Oh no! <laughs> Goodness me! What a great surprise! <laughs> now, it, oh. so uh, that is that is part four of Mark Opet. So uh, we've, that that that's it. We've run out of backlog tape. So the next bit will be when we talk to him and ask him all those all those well, gr- you know, questions we wanted to ask. We'll grill him. Yeah, we will. We'll shine a light in his eyes and yes, say. We will. Yeah. We'll get the truth. Where are you when Cold Chisel's <laughs> album came out on Thursday, the thirtieth of August, nineteen seventy-four, or whatever? We'll 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 think of some good questions. We will. Now we're going to finish with that uh, song we talked about earlier, "In the Dark" from uh, from Susie Quattro from her new album, uh, "The Devil in Me," which is available uh, out and about now. Also, should point out the Cheap Trick album, which we talked to Robin Zander about in our last episode. Mm. That's out and about now. So please uh, have a listen to that because that really is a good album, the Cheap Trick album. And also want to remind you about the Dear Mum book. Whatever you do, grab a copy of that and yeah, uh, and good. have a read. It's a, it's a really good read. Brian's a lovely letter, I must admit. But it starts with Samuel's letter and with the with his sister's letter, and it's a really powerful book and a really a really good book to read. You'll love it. Great present for Mum on Mother's Day. Exactly right. And uh, May thanks. The ninth. To our great sponsors, Murcott's Driving Excellence, one three hundred triple five five seven six Murcotts Simple as that. I'm just, well, I'm just pulling the tone down. You've got to get down there, especially with East. Well, Easter's gone, hasn't it? Yes. I was going to say you should get some lessons before Easter because before you go away. But um, bit late. Yeah, um, yeah. What day is it anyway? Give a gift voucher to Mum for Mother's Day to brush up on her right. driving skills. Yeah, yes. and give her a copy of Dear Mum and a Mercot's driving. Yeah, copy of the course. book with, with a voucher inside it. Nothing says Absolutely I love you, Mum, more than a book. More than a book about Mum and some driving lessons. Yeah, well, it says I love you, but you're a shit driver. <laughs> that should be the hallmark <laughs> card. <laughs> That'd be the card that you give the voucher in. It says Happy Mother's Day, Mum. I love you, but you're a shit driver. Yeah, exactly. All the yeah. best from everyone at Murcotts. Uh, yeah, that's fantastic. Hey, got to finish with this Susie Quattro song. I think you're really going to enjoy this. Thank you, Brian. She she went down a Devil's Gate Drive, and now she's got the devil inside. So you know, maybe there's a lesson about going down Devil Gates Drive. There's something in there somewhere.
I'm sure. Mm, I hope so. Enjoy this uh, Susie Quattro song. Next time, uh, Grace Knight uh, will join us from Eurogliders, amongst others, and uh, plenty of other oh, little, yes. little surprises coming up on Life of Brian, dot, 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 Mannix, that is. And that was. Oh. In the dark, all alone, no more light and no touchstone. Damage done, I hit the ground Silent tears, you know they make no sound In the dark Choose.